This is Dustin Matthews, and welcome to this episode of the Get Well Fit Podcast, where it's my job to get inside the heads of top money makers and investors and entrepreneurs and figure out what makes them tick. Today is an incredibly special show. It is with a good friend and an amazing person that you definitely are going to want to hear from. Let me tell you a little bit about him. He is the author of 13 books with international bestsellers and Amazon bestsellers in the business and personal development categories. He is a musician with 13 albums to his name and a number one on iTunes in 2013. He serves today as the chairman and founder of the Circle of Excellence and has built five companies in events, business intelligence, licensing, investments, experts institutes, which operate regularly in over 20 countries. He is also the producer and director of the film Dreamcatchers and is a recipient of numerous awards, including Speaker of the Year and Business Person of the Year twice. And he's also been nominated for three Extraordinary Life Awards. He is the co-founder of the Conscious Leadership Movement, and he is my special guest and friend, Mike Hancock. As always, this episode is brought to you by WealthFit. Go to wealthfit.com slash 101 right now to claim your free wealth building 101 course. Inside the course, you'll discover some brilliant new strategies for getting out of debt, boosting your income, starting to invest, and a whole lot more. This online course is our free gift to you as one of our loyal podcast listeners. So go right now to wellfit.com slash 101. That's wellfit.com slash 101. In today's show, we are talking about something that is very important, how to decide on and manage opportunities. Said a different way, What priorities do you work on? In today's show, we talk about the formula for deciding. So if you've ever wondered, heck, what should I be working on? What do I need to be doing? What opportunities should I be pursuing? This show is gonna serve you well. We talk about the six steps that you need to know. We also talk about how entrepreneurs are doing 93% of the wrong things right which may include you. You might be doing this right now and how to remedy that. In addition, we discuss the power of questions and which one of the who, what, why, how, and where question words you need to be asking. One is more powerful than the rest. And finally, we talk about walking away from a one to possibly $3 million deal. How you're able to do that with a smile on your face. So with that said, let's get to it. You've just walked into what most would consider a dream scenario. After giving a presentation to the leadership team of a rather large organization, you have them salivating, wanting you to further train their 40,000 salespeople. They tell you quickly to put something together so you guys can get started. This deal is in your wheelhouse and easily worth a million dollars, possibly up to three million to you and to your company. But after some consideration, you feel something is off and you tell them, I don't think we're the right fit for each other. Mike, how in the heck are you able to walk away from a seven figure, multiple possibly seven figure deal? What did you realize in that moment? You're making me doubt it, Dustin. (laughs) You're making me doubt it. Well, Dreams turn into nightmares. What do you mean? 
Well, sometimes they do, you know, sometimes you go and have this nice dream and then somebody stabs you in the dream. And I think, you know, so many people are out there chasing the money and that they don't look at what they have to do to earn that money or who they have to do it with. And I'm a great believer in values. And one of my strongest values is freedom. And freedom to me is having the freedom to do what I want, when I want, where I want, with whom I want. And so when this person brought this deal to us because they'd seen us speak on a stage and then they came and said, you know, this is what we want you to do. At first, I found myself getting, you know, really sucked into the vibe and wow, we can do that. And wow, this is. And as they kept talking, I'm doing the numbers in my head. You know, this could be million plus and oh, 40,000. No, it's going to be more. It could be up to three. It could be up to, I could pitch this at three million. I could do it for multiple years. They'd have to do it for multiple years. Maybe three years. That could be $9 million deal. I'm getting excited. Yeah. And then I realized I don't even like this person sitting in front of me. Their value system's different than mine. And when Lundy, my partner, and I talked about it, and when you said after some consideration, that some consideration was about six seconds, we got into the car and she said, so what do you think? I said, what do you think? She said, I don't like him. I said, no, neither do I. She said, are you going to ring him and tell him? I said, yeah, I will. And that was literally it because it wasn't a values match for us. And I find that so many people do so many things that puts them in a situation where they think that it's the right thing at first, but when it turns out that dream's turned into a nightmare for them and now they're stuck, they've got to deliver their uh, Friday nights at 10 o'clock doing things instead of being with their family. They're getting angry calls. You should have been here. You should have done this, all of that sort of stuff because they haven't made the right selection of what they want to do and the right selection of clients. So that comes down to understanding your personal values, your personal boundaries. And that's something that we're really, really strong about. And it's something that most entrepreneurs haven't given a lot of thought to. I definitely want to talk about values. I want to give people a little bit of context because it's easy for people to say, listening into our little conversation here, well, Mike, he must have been doing $10 million deals, or maybe his company didn't need the money. So he's in a position of power. Was that the case where you didn't have to take the deal because of financial concerns? Or would that have made a difference in, in your company and your life at that time? Oh, definitely. In fact, it was just as we were coming to the end of a partnership with my business partner of 10 years, we knew there was going to be a parting of the ways. We knew there was going to be payouts and all sorts of number stuff that happens when you do those things. And quite frankly, we'd just come off an eight-month sabbatical. So it was hard to... Oh, immensely hard. I mean, we weren't doing $10 million a year in, in total revenue. So this was a massive, massive chunk of revenue. And something that I think that a lot of people that do what we do would have seen as their A-list star. Yeah. This would have been their big movie that they were starring in. The thing that you said that I really want to highlight, I want to invest some time into is, is values, because I just think back to when I started my first business, I was in it for the money. You know, I wanted to provide for myself. I, you know, I didn't have the family yet, but, you know, I was in it for the money. I had never considered values. Why is this so important? Why is this critical, especially to that guy or gal, early stage entrepreneur is just trying to validate this business, trying to get that first client or customer? Getting the first client or customer, I think people are a little stuck because they need to get started as well. But hospice is a crazy place. I don't know if you've ever visited a hospice, Dustin, but you know it's the last place people go before they die and very few people come out of that alive. And if you talk to a hospice worker, 
they'll say that they don't see people sitting in hospice saying, did you know I had a Mercedes Benz and a beach house on Hawaii? You know, they don't say that. They say, I should have spent more time with my family. They say, I wish I had played more golf. They say the things that were, I should have written that book. All those sort of things, the things that they really come from the heart. And yet we're conditioned by the media and society and everything like that to chase money. But if you honestly believe in things like law of attraction, which has been around forever, but if you believe in that stuff, you don't have to chase money. You just have to attract the right things. And I realized at that point in time that we were attracting the best potential people with money, but we just weren't attracting quite the right type at that stage. So therefore, we just had to do a bit more focus and pull back. And I'd have to say that that was three and a bit years ago now that that happened. And we've had the most extraordinary, amazing, wonderful life for the last three and a bit years. And I think it wouldn't have been anything like that if we'd taken that deal. I wanted to get to this next question and there's no shortage of time. So we'll get to this next question. But I think it would be interesting to hear you share your values so people can understand what, what does he exactly mean by values? How can values help me decide if I should do this deal or take this partnership or work with this client? Yeah, well, we look at it like a GPS system. You know how a GPS system works, it triangulates. So most people we suggest should have three values. But when Lundy and I first met and we sat down and we weren't young kids meeting up, we were adults and, you know, we'd had life experience. So we sat down and we said, we need to get on the same page really quickly. So we talked about our values and our mutual and shared values. And we came up with five of them, which were love, fun, travel, freedom, and beauty. And they're simple words. But those words became a guide to us. So when we said, will we take this client on or not? Yeah. It was a matter of, will they allow us to be free? Will they allow us to travel? Will they be fun? Are they beautiful of heart? Are we going to love working with them? The answer didn't tick any box. So to go against that is to go against the fundamental way that our hearts worked, which was just that didn't seem right to us. And whilst it after making the phone call, I sort of hung up and went, well, hmm, let's see how that one goes. But the fact of the matter was, it was just perfect. Just perfect. And for someone saying, okay, I, I like this idea, but I mean, is there ever a scenario where you go against that value because you want to take that deal? Or are there any experiences that, that you've had in life where you're like, you know what, I'm going to look the other way on this one. I really need this one. And it's come back to bite you. Oh, all the time. I can remember as a young salesperson, I sold financial services when I was 21 or 22. And we used to have a thing in our office that at the end of the week, the person with the least number of sales had to buy the first round of drinks on a Friday night. And there was one Friday night that I was actually had the least sales coming up. And I thought, I don't want to buy the drinks. I'd never had to do it. So I quickly ran out to one person that I was dealing with that day and that Friday afternoon talked them into buying from me so that I wouldn't have to buy the round of drinks. I've never had more problems with any client in any business in all of my life. It took eight months to untie from that one. So I think the real question behind the question is, is there any circumstance in which you would go against a value? And the answer is no, absolutely not. Not for somebody who's got the life experience. When you're young, I think you make those mistakes and you say, I'll fix it later or whatever. But truly, I would really counsel anybody not to go against your core values, the things that make you tick, your boundaries. Don't do it. What's your advice on how to come up with these? 
Firstly, to sit down and think, what punches my dial? What excites me? What makes me angry? They're sort of good things. So our, our one of travel came from the fact that we're extensive travelers. And we just couldn't imagine a life without travel. A life without travel for us would be like putting us in jail. So that one was a very obvious one because that's a, an excitement one. Fun. Why would you do anything, Dustin, if it wasn't fun? So why would you start a business that wasn't fun? Why would you stay in a business if it wasn't fun? So that became a real yardstick. Beauty is an interesting one because people think, oh, you know, do you want to just deal with beautiful people? But we want to be in beautiful situations. We want to work with people who have beautiful hearts. We want our customers to be beautiful people, like heartfelt people and things like that. We want to be in a world surrounded by beauty because so much the media tells us the world isn't surrounded by beauty. And I find what you focus on is generally what you have. So if you don't have much beauty in your life, you maybe should look at what you're focusing on. So for us, we started focusing on beauty. You know, we live near the ocean. We make sure that we spend enough time in forests and nature and things like that and with great hearted people. So I think the answer to your question is to keep it really simple, fundamental for you as an individual and try and keep to three words. I think that's critical, especially, you know, as we talk about how do you vet deals? How do you decide on it? Having values defined before you enter in is a great, like you say, a GPS, I think a North Star, you know, a guiding star. That's interesting. Now, listen, I know in this conversation, we're going to talk about two of your loves during this interview your partner, Landi, and obviously business and entrepreneurship. But before we do, I want to talk about your other love, which is music. Yeah, right. You ready for this? Absolutely. All right. 13 albums to your name, a number one on iTunes in 2013. I want you to, because I don't know that I've ever dove into this with you. I want us to tell us about your other love, music. Well, I think just it came from watching the monkeys on TV <laughs> as a kid. And, you know, the monkeys is a show that most Americans are very familiar with, but it's not actually big most anywhere else in the world, really, apart from sort of Australia, New Zealand and, and maybe the UK. Ever since then, I just wanted to be a musician. But now I realize it's because I wanted to transform people. And music is a great transformer. As you sit there and listening to this podcast, you know, if you think back in your life to signature songs, maybe they were played when you met your first love of your life or when you broke up from your first love of your life or at the passing of a relative or your graduation from high school or things like that. I wanted to write those songs. I wanted to write that California Dreaming or that With or Without You or that song, that Yesterday song. That's what inspired me. But I realize now as a writer and a speaker that writing a book is a song in itself. Writing an event is a song in itself. This podcast is a song in itself. So you can attain that in many different ways without having to spend a few years learning the guitar or piano. That's an interesting viewpoint. I never considered that. I know you're big on passion and, and doing things that are beautiful in your life. So I'm curious, have you pivoted in, so your songs that you sing now are, you know, the seminars that you put on, the courses that you make, the articles and the books that you write, or do you still find some way, despite all the traveling you do, to incorporate playing music or, or music? How do you do that, especially with your travel routine? Beauty. We just found a, a phenomenal studio in the foothills of Stellenbosch, South Africa. Now, that is the wine district. Think Napa Valley, think yeah. Barossa Valley, think Provence in, in France. Actually, it was settled by the French. So it's very similar to the, the winelands of France. Mountains that have snow caps on them in winter. 
running crystal clear streams, wine grapes, everything is fantastic there. We found a studio there on a, on a farm, which is just amazing with chalets on there that you can stay in. And I'm sort of halfway through doing my next album and back there recording next month as, as well. So you can't, and I think entrepreneurs do this, they take the parts of them that they love, their dance, their martial arts, their baseball or whatever it is, and they put them aside because they've got this business and it's serious business that we've got to run. But you shouldn't do that. In fact, you should integrate all parts of you. So I don't get up on stage and necessarily play the guitar and sing songs. There are enough speakers that do that. But most people don't even know that when they come to one of our, say, two-day events or something like that, that most of the music they listen to I've written. So it's very subliminal in the way that we do it. And we use it as anchors because, of course, I know the tracks as well. So, you know, if we want the audience, if we want to take the audience down into an emotion, we'll use a couple of tracks that will bring them down. If we want to bring them up, we'll use a couple of tracks that bring them up. Man, that's fascinating. I'm curious because I've never been in the music writing world, the creative process. So to write a song, how do you do that? Is it very similar to how do you write a book? I mean, are you getting up every morning and writing some stuff down and then, you know, when you go record, you'll transform it into a song or does it just sort of download to you when you're in the studio? How does it work for you? I think every songwriter will tell you it's something different, but maybe to give you an example, you know, I always wanted to write that with or without you or that yesterday or something like that, something that would be iconic and go to number one. But in fact, my number one hit was a joke that me and my friend wrote when the mayor of Auckland slept with his 21-year-old Chinese secretary, and we wrote a song called Pants Down Brown, and it went to number one in New Zealand. (laughs) So careful what you wish for, folks. You may just get it. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I love that. I love that. Mike, I just got to say, you know, I'm really excited that you and your partner, Londi, have created courses with us at WellFit, especially the one that we're going to talk about today, which is deciding and managing, you know, your opportunities and priorities. I want to start with something that you said yesterday that really struck me when we were filming, which was 93% of people are doing the wrong things, right? And and 93% of people or entrepreneurs, I should say, what do you mean we're doing the wrong things right? Well, it's fascinating. I'm going to back it up a little bit because we have a little bit more time in the podcast. And this actually comes from a really deep spiritual law called the law of learning. And it's the development of the soul as it goes through its transgression in the universe. So I'm going to give you the seven phases of that at the moment. The first phase is that there are people on earth that are literally in the safety zone. They don't know where they're going to sleep tonight or what they're going to eat. The second stage is people that are thinking all the time, how am I going to make an extra $50 a week? How am I going to get a better job? How am I going to get a better house? How am I going to get a better spouse, if you like, right? And then the third level is self-definition, which is who am I and why am I here? which is a lot of reason that uh, people are listening to your podcast is because they're starting to play in the who am I and why am I here. Then the fourth area is giving and love. Oh, you realize that life's not about yourself. It's about who you can give to and what you can love. The fifth area is flow. So this is where everything starts to get attracted to you and you have to do very little effort for it. The sixth area is consciousness, which very few people attain. And the last area is source, the seventh area, which only about three people in history have attained. Now, 93% of people, according to the gurus in earth, sit in the first two areas. They're either struggling to know where they're going to sleep and what they're going to eat or how they're going to make that extra $50 a week. And they're so in their heads that they can't break out of that. So the 7% of other people are only in self-definition and so on and so forth. So now if we bring that back to the entrepreneur space, 
I started to realize I've worked with 300,000 entrepreneurs. So that's a lot of people. And there's a lot of commonalities and things that stick out from that after you've done it a long time. And we started to measure this and we realized that it was the same number. 93% of people are doing the wrong things right. So they're focused on the wrong stuff, just like the spiritual law. Don't be focused on the extra $50 a week. Be focused on something like, who am I and why am I here? And the extra $50 a week will just start arriving. The thing's happening in business as well. People are focused on, oh, I just did this and I now I have to do 28 blogs a week or something like that. Or now I've got to build a, an amazing back-end system for my administration because it won't work. And then you ask them, well, how many sales calls have you made this week? Oh, I haven't had time. And you go, well, how's your bank account? It's not very good. And I may have to close this business in six months, but I have a fantastic blog site. So <laughs> <laughs> it's about understanding. And it's, if you're a blogger, you should be blogging, right? Yeah. But if you're a greengrocer selling vegetables, maybe a blog's not the right way to go for you as it could be in the 93%. We want to get people focused on the 7% that's right for them. Mike, how do you couple what you just shared with that person like that doesn't take that action? Because I, I kind of relate to this as I love to do the two. In the past, I've been addicted to how can I do this? How I've been in stage two thinking. And then what actions can I take? And that's kind of addicting, right? Because like I'm in the process of doing something. However, you're talking about defining who I am being in a place of give and love. And that seems less action taking, but more soul searching and, and defining. How do you differentiate that? So firstly, you used a question, which is how, right? I don't like the how question. Again, just going to share some ancient wisdom with you. It comes from the Chinese, 5,000 years old. The Emperor Fu, he sent his scholars, scholar means observer, out to check out the world because he realized that society was a microcosm of the macrocosm that was presented in the world. And through that, they found the five elements of water, wood, fire, earth, and metal. And they realized that each of those elements related to a question. Water was the why question, wood was the what question, fire was the who question, earth was the when, and metal was the how. Now, if you think about that, Every time you come up with a good idea, folks, and somebody asks you, well, how are you going to do that? It's yeah. like a big axe coming in and chopping you down. Whereas what you want to do is you want to change the question. So when I think of it, when I have a harebrained scheme or a new idea, I always think to myself, why would I want to do that? Why is that driving me? And then if I solve that why, then I ask the next question, what three things could I do in the next day, week, or month that could get me closer to that goal? Then the best question of all, who's already done this that I could model off? I mean, that's why we have these courses, because we've done this and you folk can model off it, right? But who can I model off? Who's already done this? And then when's the best time? And you never need to actually answer the how question, because out of all of those five elements, there's one of them that destroys metal, and that's fire. Fire always melts metal. So you never need to know how if you know who, because who always knows how. Mm, I love that. I'm a little self-conscious right now because my next follow-up question is, in this world, there's no shortage of things to do. When people get to a certain level, there's no shortage of opportunities too, right? Opportunities can just come in. And I realize some people aren't at that stage yet, but that, that is the case. How, <laughs> which I know now, how do we know which one is the right one for us? 
Yeah, well, all of us have this inherent thing where we want to jump from one thing to another. I don't know what it is with human beings, whether it's been programmed into us or not. We call it bright, shiny object syndrome. Okay. So we naturally, before we finish something, we want to jump to another thing. So we have a formula that we share with people, six steps. I used to keep it in my wallet before I knew them in my head. And every time I got offered a new opportunity or came across one, and the more you travel and the more successful you are, the downside is the more opportunities you get. So, you know, you've got to become an expert at saying no to things. So we would simply pull this out. And what I did when I first realized this was golden genius information that I first gleaned the idea from somebody else and then developed it was when I looked at all the things that I had done that hadn't worked out. And I realized that they didn't tick some of these boxes. And so I realized that these six things are like your roadmap to choosing an opportunity. Would you like to know what they are? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Number one is, does this opportunity that's presenting itself to you fit your passion and your purpose? Now, you might need to do a bit of work on purpose, but can you be passionate about it? So if somebody asks, says, hey, I've got a business for sale and it's in changing tires on cars, is that going to be something you're going to be really passionate about or, or not? Number two is, can I add value in my natural way? So we all have a natural way, we all have natural skills, unique abilities and things like that, that we love and, and we can use. Then we have other learned skills that we may actually be good at, but we don't really like them. You know, I used to be a corporate general manager. So all that paperwork and everything that came with that, I'm really good at, but I don't like enjoy doing it. But if I can add value in a natural way by speaking about it, by writing, by creating, by being innovative, that for me really stokes my fire. So now if I find an idea that I'm passionate about, it's within my aligned to my purpose and I can really use some of my skills and abilities in it. It's good. That's number two. Number three, can you leverage it? So many people end up in boxes where they get stuck at income levels or in a community and so that they can't travel or can't even take their kids away on holidays or things like that. So can I leverage it? Can I get it to a point where I can load it off so other people can do it? Can I make it bigger than Texas? You know, what is it? Then number four is if it fails, will it sink me? There's so many ideas, Dustin, that you don't need to invest your heart and soul in things that are going to take all of your life savings and make your wife or your husband angry with you and and all of those sort of things. We don't need to do that, even though we've heard the stories of people who have spent their last dollar and made a billion, right? Then number five is, does it motivate me? Meaning, if I have to get up at five o'clock in the morning a few days from time to time, will I be jumping out of bed or dragging my sorry butt out of bed? So the answer is, if I'm going to be jumping out of bed and excited about the day, then I'm going to be motivated by this thing. And that doesn't matter whether it's changing people's tires on their cars. That's what motivates you. That's cool. And then the last one, number six is, is there a return that inspires me? Now, the return could be financial. So in other words, it could be a property deal that has 100% return. Or the return could be non-financial. In other words, you might learn a skill. You might learn French by doing this, and you've always wanted to learn French. You might be able to give back to the community, and you've always wanted to find a way to give back to the community. It could be some other return on this thing that inspires you. And those six things, if you get an opportunity, 
and you run it past those, does it fit my passion and purpose? Can I add value in my natural way? Can I leverage it? If it fails, will it sink me? Does it motivate me? And is there a return that inspires me? And it ticks all those boxes, then I would say 100% you've got to go for it. Hey, I want you to take a second and go to wellfit.com slash go right now. I'm going to do it too. You with me? Once you're there, click the big pink button that says start the course. When you do that, you're going to get a free online video course called WellFit Building 101, how to get out of debt, boost your active income, and start investing for passive income. It's taught by my good friend and WellFit founder, Andy Proper, and it's a really inspiring, life-changing course that's going to arm you with little mindset shifts and specific action steps you can take to experience your financial breakthrough and get well on your way to building real, lasting wealth for yourself and your family. Don't miss this. Thousands and thousands of people have already joined the WellFit movement, completed the free course, and are breathing fresh air financially, maybe for the first time in their lives. We're waiting on you. So go to wellfit.com slash go right now to join us and claim your free life-changing courses online. Back to the show. This is solid. You've mentored me and you've taught me throughout the years. And I, I really wish I had recalled this by default, I was thinking of WealthFit. So when I had to reinvent myself for my, my prior business, I mean, just looking at like all this stuff like lights my fire. So like, I know like now it's validation, but knowing there's a formula like for the next opportunity or for someone listening in right now, who's like, I don't know, what do I do? Knowing that there's something like this exists is so powerful. Absolutely. And it's so easy because once you do this for a while, and once you make this part of who you are, along with your values, if you like, then Somebody says something to you, hey, dude, how about we go do this? And in an instant, you can go, mm, no, not going to work for me. And then you can bow out or you can say, I love that idea. Let's go yeah. make magic, you know? Yeah. After you sort of run your idea through this, you have a prioritization. So let's say, okay, I'm excited about something. I settle in. I, I use this as my checklist. Now I want to go and I want to execute. And so it's sort of moving us into like, now, how do we take that and manifest this idea or this opportunity and actually get some results out of it? What is that formula? Well, we call it the four G's because it's get, groom, grow, and really going for gold. Okay. But what it truly is, is it's a way of life that keeps you focused on the 7%, not on the 93% of doing the wrong things right. And so this is the beauty of this formula. Just imagine if you could achieve all that you're achieving now in 7% of your time. That would be awesome. Yeah, it'd be totally awesome. It might be an unrealistic promise for me to say that, but what I will promise you is that you can achieve everything you're achieving and more now in a hell of a lot less time by using the four Gs because it gets rid of all that superfluous stuff that we get bogged down with as entrepreneurs that takes our time and takes our focus away from what we truly want to achieve. So we have a very simple exercise and in a nutshell, people can write down everything they want to do. Gee, I need a new website. I want to go networking. I want to develop a new program. I want to learn how to speak. I need to do some client interviews, all that stuff that we yeah. do on a day-to-day -day basis. They can write it down and then literally take each one of those things like I need to go networking and place it in one of these areas in the four G's. And then all we do is get people to spend 80% of their time on the stuff in the get and groom. 
you got to break this. At least give us a little taste of the four G's here. So taking this to-do list, which I would definitely want to ask you about that coming up here, why the to-do list is evil. So I'll plant a little seed there. But taking these things and now putting them into the four G's, will you give us a little context on the get and the groom and the gold and the grow? And I know that wasn't in the right order, but will you give us a little context on that? I'll give you Walt Disney's context on it. And he never knew about it. But he would definitely be somebody who used it because he was an alchemist. He created something out of nothing. So what Walt Disney did is that one day he went to his brother. I can't remember his brother's name. Do you know I remember his brother's oh, name? Oh, man, it's like on the tip of my Walt, tongue. And anyway, and bro Disney, he went to his brother and he said to him, I want you to basically take this drawing I've made as a castle and go and find me at least $5 million to build this thing in 1952, because tomorrow morning I've got 47 of the media outlets in Los Angeles coming and we're going to be launching this thing I've called Disneyland. And his brother looked at him and said, you've got to be joking. And folks, if you wondered if he did it or not, now if you go to Disneyland, the oldest ride is called A Small, Small World. And as you go through there, it says sponsored by the Ford Motor Car Company, which was a deal that they did in 1952 to have eternal rights and sponsorship within in Disneyland, and they got the money overnight. Here's the point when it comes down to 4Gs. Entrepreneurs doing the wrong things right, working in the 93%, will spend all of their time perfecting their program and then go out in the world and try and sell it. An entrepreneur who's done the 4Gs will go, why don't I sell this program and see if people will buy it? And then I better create it and deliver it before they expect it to be delivered. And all great entrepreneurs create things after they've sold them. And so if you haven't got that, I'm going to make it really clear. One example, just one little example of four Gs, one change in mindset is, is what I'm sharing with you here, is that when you do the four Gs, and I did it recently with a new program that we're bringing out, I thought to myself, oh, I better run some webinars and sell this program before I develop it, or I'm going to spend a lot of time developing this, and I don't know whether the market wants it or not. Whereas otherwise, if I didn't know that, I'd be spending 93% of my time doing the wrong things right and developing a program, then going out and running a webinar and having zero coming sales coming in, perhaps, or maybe it'll be a gangbuster, who knows. But nine times out of 10, you've got a lot more refinement to do. So just change the way you see the world. That's what the 4Gs does. It changes the way you see the world. It's so true. How many stories do you hear of people building something, taking years to build it, they take it to market and the market has either left them behind or there never was a market. And it's just like, oh. And so I'm, I'm grateful that you brought that up because I was fortunate to come from a world where that was taught and that was the norm. But so many people don't do that. And I think it's that fear of, sales too in there, which you guys talk about for sure, but it is the way you have to put products in people's hands and they have to buy it from you, you know, at the end of the day. Absolutely. One of the big ones that comes in to give you another sort of feel for 4Gs is what people often have do my social media as the thing they have to do, but is your social media going to get you business? And they say, oh yeah, of course it is. We say, okay, why don't you show us the statistical data that proves that your social media posts have brought you in business? Because if it has, I need to take it to Forbes magazine because <laughs> Forbes magazine's recent 2019 study says that 78% of Fortune 500 companies cannot get a viable financial return on social media. So if you can, tell me how, right? So anyway, the fact of the point being, if it's a social media ad like a Facebook ad or something like that, of course, that's trackable. 
but people will spend all day on Facebook posting photos, their dog, their frog, their food, their this and their that, thinking that's part of a work attraction strategy to themselves. But that actually needs to be in the third area of the four Gs, which is grow. And that grow needs to come into what we call the 20% of your time that you're not doing income or relationship generating activities. And can you build relationships over social media? Sort of, but you can build them a lot stronger and a lot faster in a face-to-face basis initially. Mike, what do you say to that skeptic listening in right now who says, well, that works for Mike and my stuff is two steps removed or I'm building equity in a company. What do you say to that person that says, listen, I can't do an activity right now that's going to generate income. There's like two steps in between, or I'm not trying to get short-term income. I'm trying to build Facebook and build it for a billion. Honestly, if you're building the next Facebook and you're only focused on the equity value, then that's what you want to get. So that's what you need to be doing 80% of the time. So this is why the four Gs is, is fantastic because we can utilize it The first column is get, and the second column is groom. So most people want to get money, which is an immediate income. And most people want to groom relationships, but occasionally people want to get equity. So it's, that's fine. And other people want to get their time back. So therefore, all, and when we look at all of their activities, which of the activities is going to give you your time back, that should end up in the get column. So it's really transferable. And to the other person, the question says, well, that's okay for Mike and da, da, da. All I'd say is, How's your bank account going? (laughs) If it's going great, keep doing it. If it's not, listen up. Love it. One of the things that you talk about is grooming. And I know you have a great deal of relationships. I'm always curious about how I love relationships. And I feel like one of my challenges or opportunities of growth is figuring out effective ways to groom, as you call it, maintain relationships. So I'm curious as to what you do with some of your higher level partners or clients, what you do to stay in contact and keep that relationship alive? I think we just don't treat them like a business relationship. And I mean, if you think about your or my relationship over the years, you probably remember there's times you've woken up in the morning and there'll be a, a message from me, you know, a voice note or something. Hey, Dustin, Lundy and I were just thinking about you. How's it going? What's been happening in your world? Drop us a note. We'd love to hear from you. That sort of thing. I mean, we just do that naturally. That's not necessarily part of our grooming strategy, but it becomes part of a grooming strategy with high-level partners and that sort of thing as well. Do you guys want to go to a ball game together? Do you guys want to have a barbecue together? How about we just go and hang out? And Or how was your week? So many people are, are not focused on that question, but it can get so far in relationship. Or if you see something, if you're dealing with a corporate and you've got, you see something in the media, picking up the phone and going, hey, I just saw this article in the media. How are you guys feeling about that? Do you feel it portrayed you well or not? I was just wondering, I was really curious and I just wanted to touch base and make sure you guys are okay. That stuff just, you know, it doesn't matter how much social media posting you do. And I'm not against it because I do a lot of social media posting. It doesn't replace that. You know, I just had a big aha and I I just want to thank you for it. Oftentimes, like I don't do that enough where I just reach out to people and I'm like, I I ask the question, why, right? Like I used used what you just taught me. Why? Why don't I do that? And what I accessed in my brain was in the past, I haven't wanted to reach out to people unless they have something of value. And I guess I was kind of thinking of it like in a business sense, but like with your friends, like you don't, I don't do that with my friend. Like I just say, hey man, just w- was thinking about you. And so that's a big aha. And I think there's some stuff for me to explore. So for those listening in that are that way too, it's like, well, I don't want to bother the person, right? Like what am I going to say to them? Or like, what can I give to be a value? 
It's not about that is what you're saying. No, definitely not. But it also comes back to values as well. Our very first discussion we had on, on our talk today is that if you're scared of talking to somebody because, you know, you normally just talk to them about business and this yeah. and that, are they really in your value system? Even if there's some big wig or high level person or whatever. I remember the first time I met this billionaire in, in India. In fact, he's in the top 100 in the world and really lovely guy. And I had a reason to talk to him about this film we were doing. And so I, I rung him up and this is what I said to him. This was many years ago now, maybe eight or nine years ago. And I said to him, he got on the phone. I said, hey, uh, how's it going? It's Mike. We met at such and such. He goes, yeah, how are you doing? I said, great, thanks. I said, listen, I'm really sorry to bother you because I know how busy you are. He said, stop right there. I said, yeah. He said, I'm not busy at all. He said, I have 200 CEOs running my 200 companies. He said, I've just been to the gym and just done my meditation. So I'm really happy to talk to somebody at the moment. What do you want? <laughs> and I learned about that. The higher you go up the value chain, if you like, the more open people are, the more nice they are. And if they're not, then you don't need them in your life. And if they breach your value system, you know, what have they got to add to your life? There's a million Facebooks, believe it or not, you know, because there is a WhatsApp, there is a LinkedIn, there is a yeah. this, there is a that. You don't need all of them. So, you know, you can move on to the next one. And you should do that. Protect your boundaries. I love that. You talk about growth. I want to talk about growth. The thing that was on my mind was making things simple. Like I believe that is what your and Londi's gift is. You take complex ideas, you make them simple, understandable, and actionable, which, which is key, which is why I'm fired up about the courses you've created with us. You boiled down part of the growth, the four Gs, is, is the growth side of things. So when you want to grow something, you want to grow your business, and you've boiled it down to three words that, you advise people or you recommend people should be thinking about boiling down the three things that you love to do and get real clear on that. How do we arrive at that? Because, you know, especially in startup mode, right? You're customer service person, you're salesperson, you're marketing person, you're accountant, you're this. Some things I don't love in business. Yeah, exactly. I mean, but you've got to take yourself out of that to a large extent. You've got to become Dustin Matthews, the person and forget about wealth fit. So that was the question that Landy originally asked me. She said, Mike, if you could do anything on a day-to-day -day basis, but could only do three things, what would those three things be? And I thought for a minute and I said, I'd love to speak. I really enjoy writing and I want to create, but that creation could be a course. It could be a song. It could be a new book. It could be an idea. It could be helping a customer. That's what it could be. And so it made it very, very simple. Now, does Mike have to do some marketing? Of course. Does he like marketing? Most of the time, he, he doesn't mind it. Does he have to do some coaching? Yeah, of course. Does he like doing coaching? Eh, not really, but he does it. So that's all part of the game. Does Mike like doing the set of accounts? No. Does he do them? Absolutely not, because he's not an expert at it, but does he know all the numbers in his business? Yes. So there's certain things that you have to know, which are just part of it, but if you can do what you love 90% of the time or 80% of the time, then the other stuff just doesn't make too much difference. I love what my friend Glenn said ages ago. He taught me this. This is going to turn your audience into a bunch of alcoholics, but never mind. He said he hated doing his accounts, but he worked a way around it. He said he would go and buy like a $100 bottle of wine that he really loved on the month day that he would do his accounts. And as he would pour the wine, he would be doing his tax returns and stuff like that. So then he would really look forward to that time in the month where he's doing his tax because he could drink his bottle of wine. Yeah. That's a fantastic idea. Yeah. I love that. Man, part of this conversation is 
recognizing what you love to do, getting to the point where then you can outsource it. So many people trip up when it comes to outsourcing because they don't fully understand the process. What is your advice around outsourcing and how does one know if now is the time to hand something off to somebody? Yeah, this comes into the grow section as well, because we're great proponents of once you get look at the column of things that you want to grow, most of those can be outsourced. And whether it's outsourced to somebody in your team in-house, meaning not you, or whether it's outsourced to somebody in the Philippines or, or Thailand or, or wherever, that's fine. You know when you should outsource things because of just two things. Number one is you're not passionate about doing them. Number two is you really know how to do them. So that way you can actually train that outsourcer. Outsourcers are set up to fail because we expect them to know everything that's going on in our mind and yet they don't. So we have to brief them in our way, the way we like to do things, our speak, our culture, our terminology and things like that. And I look at it like a pilot learning to fly a plane. You know, when you learn to fly a plane, they take you up the first time, they show you all the controls, but they don't let you touch the plane. When they take you up the second time, they allow you to fly a bit and you touch a few things. When they take you up the third time, they allow you to land the plane and then they throw you the keys and you're by yourself. So I look at outsourcing the same. Hold their hand, then give them some ability to do some of the work the next time, then give them more ability. And now you know they can do it, throw them the keys and let them do it. And you'll never have to worry about them after that. I'm curious because I hate, I absolutely hate, maybe I need to get that bottle of wine. I'm already thinking about it. I hate documenting stuff. I love the idea of somebody like taking it off my plate. And so that's how stuff does get done because I see that future of like, oh, I don't, I don't have to do this anymore. I'm curious as to like your tips and strategies. Do you record a video? Like if it's desktop, do you actually literally write out the SOP line by line? Do you do screens? Like what is your way of getting the knowledge out of your head? and to the person that you're going to hand it off to. Funny segue, Mark Victor Hansen wrote the forward to one of my books. And when I asked him to do it, he said, oh, I can't do it. And I said, why not? He said, I've never written a word in my life. I said, but you've sold 140 million books. <laughs> he said, yeah, but I didn't write them. So what do you mean? He said, oh, I just dictate them. He said, I don't like writing. So I just talk and then somebody copy edit and knocks it into shape. And I thought that's fantastic. So we tend to brief Lundy, depends on the outsourcer. Lundy likes to brief our designers who you know who they are, but uh, she likes to brief them in written terms. And then she gives them samples of things that are very similar, right? But I like to brief by video or by audio. So I often brief by audio. All of our, because we travel so much, Dustin, like we're here in San Diego with you at the moment, so we're nowhere near our staff, but we send them WhatsApps. Hey, Nicola, do this on this campaign. How's it going? Blah, 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 blah. I find WhatsApp some of the best way to brief. And for the people that like to read the written stuff, we can just get it, put it into Temi or one of those programs and then it gives them a written brief so they can read that. So that's a great way of doing it. So if you video it, then you've got the people who like video then you can take the audio off it, MP3 it for the MP3ers. And then if people like it to be written, then you can have it translated for people like to be written as well. So you can do it for any way you want to cut it with your team. I got a big grin on my face. I don't think we've ever really communicated about the process, but when we were going through the process of working together and creating the courses for WealthFit, Lisa, our, our amazing project manager, our specialist here, I think she had to download WhatsApp, you know, because in the, in, the, in the States, it's not as, unless you have people outside, I, I think in the States, it's not as widely accepted. So she downloaded it 
And then she's, she told me like one night, because you guys are international, she's like, I got like 20 audio notes. I got to figure out how to download them and, and transcribe them. And so it's funny because this is your system. This is your way. And we wanted the content. We wanted you to create courses here. And so we met you where you were at. And it was interesting. It was a new process and it was a new system. And I, and I thought when that came through, I'm like, that's crafty because you're giving us what we want. It's in a different way. And because you're in the position of power, essentially, meaning like, man, we really want to have your information. It's like, okay, we're going to take this. We're going to work with it and just do it. And then once we figured out the first or second time, then it's like, oh, well, this is simple. We download it. And then we send it into our transcription stuff and then we just take it from there. And then yeah, Lisa came back. She said, I really like the way you guys do things because we can be more thorough doing it that way yeah. as well. So it's just a little learning curve. But I, I think you'll find that you'll do more stuff like that yourself in future because it really works. And you can be in your Uber going home and you can do a quick voice note and brief somebody a, a whole project. I like that. I've done that a time or two. I, I need to do more of that. I'm a voice slash video in terms of, of doing it that way. I'm with you. I want to talk about a lot of people get opportunities, right? So you're, let's say you're subscribing to the 4G's model and you get an opportunity in front of you and you like it, but it's a long-term project. A lot of people will drop the ball, as you've mentioned before, will will drop the ball and now go pursue this. And so you have a system or a methodology of doing it. Will you share a little bit about that? We have a very simple system. You know, we do get and groom 80% of the time and grow and gold, and this is gold you're talking about, 20% of the time. So we break it down into Monday to Thursday, we're getting grooming, Friday we're growing and golding. And if we wanted to, if it was really exciting for gold, I guess we'd work on it over the weekend, but you know, we don't tend to do that anymore. The other thing is that you just have to automate more stuff in your own system. I'm really not an advocate of people dropping what they're doing if it's working, because you need to lock in your baseline. You can work on the most exciting project. You know, you can create a film bigger than Avatar or, you know, a seminar bigger than Tony Robbins if you want to, but make sure the bills are paid along the way or else it's not going to be fun for you. And you're currently doing that, or I don't know if we're allowed to talk about, you're working on a movie? Yeah, we are. We're working on a movie at the moment. In fact, we start shooting in, in March. The movie's called Harmony, and it's actually about the spiritual laws of harmony and how it relates to the workplace today. And you said, hey, we're going to tackle this project. And so you only worked on this on Fridays or on the weekend or, or whatever. You ran your many businesses that you guys are running, but you saved this. How do you have that discipline of this is something new? It's exciting, right? It's a movie. How do you not let it seep into those other days? Well, you know, you can't stop your mind. So you have thoughts, right? So I voice note myself. So if I'm, say, waiting for to do this podcast with you and I'm yeah. sitting out there and go, oh my goodness, I could have, we could do this. Oh, let's, you know, then I quickly voice note it to myself and then I'll listen to those voice notes on Friday and start to really plan it out and think it out from there. Ah, so you get it out of your head. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I find when I write things down, it helps me yeah. do that. Yeah, get it out of your head for sure. I want to talk about what your partner Landi said yesterday. She said she was on a mission against the to-do list or, or creating a movement. She's going to kill that to-do list sucker. I know you guys teach on the same stuff and you guys are incredibly close. So I'm just curious, why is this to-do list such a bad thing? Because it sets you up to fail every single day of your life. And can you imagine that you fail at doing something every day of your life? No. Then imagine after a year of failure, two years, five years, 10 years, this is emotionally devastating for people. So 
This is how the average to-do list works. I mean, jeepers. Some people sell journals and diaries for the year with to-do lists on every page. So you go, oh, there looks to be 40 spaces on there. So you think, what have I got to do? Oh, I've got to walk the dog. I've got to put out the rubbish. I've got to do this. So you write all those things down. You know, I've got to create my new course. I've got to shake hands with my ex-mother-in-law or whatever it is. You put these things down. And then as you go through your day, you tick them off. And then you get to the end of your day, go, wow, I only did eight of the 40 things on my to-do list. And I didn't do the most important one. Oh, wow. I'll put that to the top of the list tomorrow. But I've now thought of four other things I've got to do. (laughs) So every single day, you're missing the, the goal. Every single day, you're not making the cut. And it's really like that. Any of you out there have played sports, it's like every single day, you've got to get 20 shots in the basket one after the other. And what's the chance of that? It's not going to happen, right? So we're much more focused on doing one thing in a day and getting that right. Because, you know, if you're working 220 days a year, if you get one thing right every day, then you've got 220 things right for the year. And if you do that, that's going to be a phenomenal year. It's going to knock it out of the park for you. You reminded me of something that I heard you talk about in one of the courses yesterday which is this idea of time blocking. And you say 220 days, that's because you removed the weekend, you removed holidays and vacations that people want. So you're roughly in in that range. Will you talk a little bit, give a little insight, a little peek, if you will, into like this time blocking and figuring out the best activities? Sure. Well, we start with the year blocking. So we look at a year in advance. We do it every October and we'll put in our holidays first and the dog's birthday and grandma's birthday and and all these other really important things. And then we decide, you know, like Landy's birthday for her 40th. I said, where do you want to go for your 40th? She said, I want to go to New York. I want to sit in Central Park and I want to eat hot dogs. So guess what we did for her 40th birthday? But that takes some planning. We don't live in America. So, (laughs) So we had to do that. So all that fun stuff goes in first. Then we look at all the projects we want to do. We say, okay, So for this year, this year coming, we're doing our conscious leadership movement launch. So where do we want to have that? We looked at Cambodia. No, we decided on India. So we're having that in Mumbai. So now we've got those dates in. So then we've got dates in before and after. What else can we do in the region? That sort of thing. That's how we build it out. And then when you get more practical, Dustin, which is, I think, where your question was going, we look at what we call the perfect week or the average week, depending on which you like. And get a weekly planner, put it in front of you, and then block. Blocking is your friend. Block out the times you want to go to the gym. Block out the times you want to tuck the kids into bed. Block out the mid-morning or mid-week sleep-in that you're going to have because Wednesday mornings you're tired, so you want to sleep in till 9.30. Block all of that out and then look at the available times you've got left to work and go, right, where are the hot spots? Where am I going to make the money here? So when do people buy in the my target market now? If you're selling, you know, things to, if you're an accountant and you're selling financial advice and and tax, when do people want to do that? They don't want to do it in the afternoon or at night. So you're selling it to them in the morning when they're fresh, right? But probably not Monday morning because they're overwhelmed from the weekend. So Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning, Thursday mornings, they're your peak times if you're an accountant to sell your stuff. So look at that and then build the rest around it. And when we look at the year, I have, you know, those 220 days or let's make it 200 because people will understand it better. I say 20% of those days you've got to hide. Turn your phone off. Just be in your own space. Work on your thoughts. That's 40 days approximately a year. Sounds like a lot. And then 20% you've got to run hard. Back-to-back meetings, you know. Go and try and break your record for the number of meetings you had in a day. I had nine 
last December in one day, and one of them was three hours long. I mean, it was a crazy day, but that's a run day. And then the other 60% or the other 120-odd days a year, they're just general days. You know, you do a bit of admin, you create a new course, or you brush down the shop front in your shop, and maybe you do ring some of your, your customers and say hi, or, you know, all the things you do on your normal days. That makes it really nice for you. I'm so conscious to ask the word how now, but how do you deal with something that disrupts your calendar? How do you accommodate for that? There are two ways your calendar can be disrupted. One by things that just disrupt it, like people come and go, hey, we should do this. I think no is your friend and you've got to be brutal with it. And then there's other things you just want to do, but you've got to look at the reason behind it. So For instance, if your partner comes to you and says, honey, I've found this cruise of a lifetime that we've always wanted to do and and we can get a two for one deal, but we have to do it in April and it's going to be fantastic, then you need to change your calendar because it's in your value system, I'm sure, to do something that with your partner that you, and it's been a dream of yours. But the one I relate to in the course is I was invited to speak on stage with Barack Obama and the Pope didn't fit my schedule. I looked and said, that would be great, but all it's going to do is put a nice photo on my CV. I'm going to get to shake their hand, maybe get a photo, but what's it actually going to do for my life? What's it going to do for my business? What's it going to do for anything? And I couldn't actually justify a reason apart from my own ego. So I turned it down. And previously I'd turned down speaking on the same stage as Bill Clinton for exactly the same reason that I was in the middle of a tour. We we would be in Mexico at the time. I had the opportunity to fly to New York to speak on stage with Bill, uh, which would have been fantastic. But what was I going to do? Drop everybody in Mexico that was with me and say, hey, listen, I'm going to feed my own ego by doing this? No, no, no. So you've got to find out, differentiate between what's real and what's just stroking your own ego, but actually has no real resonance. I love that. Mike, I could go on and on and on. I want to ask you, what are you most excited about for this year? What are you working on? That's What's that gold project that lights your fire? I'm really excited about two things. I'm really excited about our film because I just think we're going to be bringing some information to the world that's just not there. Nobody's talking about the stuff that we're talking about in the film. So, you know, I'm going to be talking about the 1936 tuning conference they had in Copenhagen and why they changed the tuning and what role the Nazis had to play and why that's affecting us in business today. So I'm really excited about sharing that stuff with the world. And I'm really excited about Lundy and I going for the first time and seeing, visiting, doing some tours and also running some workshops in the five stans, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Turkmenistan, Uzbekistan, and whatever the fifth one is. (laughs) I was going to say, I didn't know there was five. Yeah, there is. (laughs) Which all used to be part of Russia, of course, and until the breakdown. But This is a really new and developing part of the world. And I mean, cities there like Astana that have come on on the grid just in the last 18 years and are are just phenomenal, amazing, modern cities that most of us in in what we call the West just don't know about. And they're really aggressive, young, hip people there. And I think it's going to be fantastic to share some of our content with them to not only hear back from them, but also to go visit. We're going to spend, I think, three weeks in the area. So We're going to get to do a lot of stuff. That's going to be really cool. Well, Mike, I just want to acknowledge, I just want to thank you big time for making the time, blocking me, putting the block in the calendar and for what you're up to in the world. I mean, bringing 
your wisdom, business insights, and doing it in an interesting way. I mean, we didn't really get into a lot of the ancient wisdom. You, you seeped it in a little bit, but there's a lot more there. So with that said, with the movie coming out, the adventures around the world that people can join you, and for just folks that want to keep tabs on you know, what you're up to and see what you're about, obviously checking out the WealthFit courses that are coming soon in the library. What is the other best way to continue that conversation with folks that want to? Folks, I think it's just perfect for you to connect with us on LinkedIn. So it's both of us, Mike Hancock with the D-H-A-N-D-C-O-C-K and Landy Jack, L-A-N-D-I and Jack, J-A-C, no K on it. And that's the best way to find us. And Dustin, I just want to thank both you and WealthFit folks, what they do here and what this man's got in his heart is you just don't find anywhere else in the world. So I really want to thank you for your time. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate you being on the show. Cheers. This show was a real treat for me. I really hope it was a treat for you. And the reason why is Mike and his, and his partner, Londi, they're incredibly amazing people. I really encourage you to listen to Londi's episode. She has a show here on the Get Well Fit Show, an episode. And then also, too, if you're interested in the topic, going into their Wealth Fit course. They have two courses with us here at Wealth. So I encourage you to check those out. This is such a powerful conversation because I myself so many times have wondered, how do I decide on what's right for me? And not just like do it and then kind of analyze along the way, but like how can I have a vetting process for it? And so today's conversation was incredibly, incredibly powerful. Want to start off with the big takeaways here because we did cover a lot of ground and short of you going back and listening to it. And if you haven't done 1.5X or 2X, maybe try it out because you've heard it already. But short of that, let me give you the big takeaways so that you can remember, you know, what are some of the salient points here? So number one, value system. Having a value system helps you determine who you're going to work with what opportunities that you're going to pursue. And as I get older, as I walk this planet more and more, you know, I come to find out in, in life, like you really get to decide, you really get to dictate. The challenge is sometimes we come from a place of lack or we're just getting started, right? Like if you start a business, you just want to get that first client through the door, you're excited. And what I find is like, if you just delay, right? If you sharpen that saw a little bit longer before you start cutting away, and I know you're eager to cut because I'm eager to cut down that tree, right? If you just make that time and define who you are and what you're looking for, life becomes a lot easier. And, and listen, I know that you're going to go out there and, and you're going to hit your head up against the wall. And sometimes it takes that, right? And if I can save you a little time here, investing and making the time to figure out what your value system is and writing them down so that like it's clear and taking that out so that when an opportunity comes along, as Mike has shared with us here, in this show is incredibly, incredibly valuable. It's your North Star, it's your GPS. And a lot of us do this on gut, right? And sometimes you forget your gut, you forget like the logical part of making the decision process and we're more emotional. And I'm not saying like, don't trust your gut and go do that. I'm just saying, why not incorporate something that can help you and, and values is it. And so the idea of fun, travel, beauty, if that makes sense to you. Those were some of Mike and Londi's personal values. Whatever they are for you, just knowing it and then now looking at a deal and saying, listen, if it's freedom for you, are you really gonna have the freedom that you want if you enter into this deal, big deal? If you go chase corporate, 
Are you going to have freedom? Maybe you will if you design the deal in the right way. And maybe it will give you that clarity, right, to reposition and redesign things based on, on your criteria. This is very, very powerful. So I want to encourage you to do this exercise. This is something I've been working on for the past two years, have it in a Google Doc and revisit fairly constantly on a, at least a weekly basis on how do I strengthen it and what have I learned and when deals come across my plate. So this is something I want to encourage you to do. Now, I'll give you a short little nugget here because that was a that was a pretty big one. If you heard the episode, you heard me saying I'm a little self-conscious when asking these questions. And so the big point here is not asking how, but asking why and really getting to the psychology of something. And so this actually really takes creating the space, creating the time, because a lot of times you get caught up in the activity. You've got a problem in front of you. And so you could say, how can I fix this problem? Right. And then you'll get an answer. But if you ask yourself, why does this problem exist? Why did this take place? And if you're able to think on it and pinpoint some things, maybe not how do I just grab a fire extinguisher and put this out? Well, maybe instead you remove the flammable carpet where the fire occurred, right? That would be savvy because if you don't, it's just gonna keep happening. And I know that's a real crude example here, but take that time to ask yourself why this exists, right? Maybe it is a fire, you gotta put it out right now. But take that time at the end of the day, maybe early in the morning to ask yourself that why question. Why do I keep having this problem? What's really taking place here is incredibly powerful. And I love the who question as well, especially when it comes to business. But this really works in anything. And it's something I have to keep reminding myself. Who can help me with this? Who has been here? Who can solve this? A lot of times I want to jump in being the achiever, right? And I suspect you're the same way too. You wouldn't be here listening to the show right now if you weren't an achiever and having a very similar mindset. And so the more powerful question instead of what can I do to solve this problem is who can I get to solve this problem? Who can mentor me to solve this problem, right? And if you think of the who, it's incredibly, incredibly powerful because listen, when it comes to business or even when it comes to your own personal life, you can't be an expert in all areas, right? Like you may have a good idea, and even if you are great, right, if you think of, you know, your favorite golfer or your favorite athlete, they have a coach, right? They have someone there, a who, that is guiding them, that is mentoring them, that is helping them, right? And so it's the who. So be sure, be sure to ask yourself that. Another big takeaway, I want to remind you of the six steps to really vetting an opportunity. And so we'll go a little rapid fire and I'll break them down. So number one, passion and purpose. Number two, can I add value in a natural way? Number three, can I leverage it? Number four, if it fails, will it sink me? Number five, does it motivate me? And number six, does it give me a return that inspires me? So let me break this down just real quick, give you a little bit more meat on this bone right here. This is powerful when looking at opportunities or business partners or activities that you're going to do. So number one, your passion and purpose. As Mike said, you might need to do a little bit work, but does it fit really what you're passionate about? Obviously, to use me as an example, I'm passionate about education. I'm passionate about people having access to new ideas, new ways of thinking. I like facilitating that. I'm not always the experts. Most of the time, I am not the expert in the conversation, but like, listen, I'm here on the show, I'm interviewing people and they're doing all the talking. I'm very passionate about being a part of that process and then getting it to you. So is what in front of you, is it something that fits your passion or your purpose? 
Number two, can I add value in a natural way? Meaning, is it easy? Like, is it going to take you a lot of work? Are you going to have to pick up the shovel and work eight hours a day to add value? If so, odds are you're probably not going to want to do it. What if you just shifted a little bit? And what if you had a backhoe, right? And so like, maybe it's only going to take you an hour now and you can add value there. Can you add value in a natural way? Maybe an easy way is what I wrote down here. Number three, big one. Can you leverage it? I wish earlier on I had this imprinted or tattooed on me, quite honestly, is the activity I'm working on, is the opportunity leverageable? One of my other mentors taught me, which is, can I put planets in orbit around me, right? So in a, a real easy example is our friends over at Fortune Builders, right? They started off with a real estate house flipping company and still have that, right? Then people started asking them, wow, you're successful. Can you teach us to invest? They started an education company. Then after people got educated and were successful, they said, hey, you know, we've been doing these residential deals. Can you help me with commercial? I want to elevate that. And so then they opened up commercial education. And then some people said, listen, I've been very successful. I don't want to do all the work that's required in active real estate investing. Can you help me with some passive income investments? And so our, our friends over at Fortune Builders have another company that help them with passive income investments. And so in that way, that's extremely leverageable, right? Because there's one or two sets of customers coming through the door, but they can create a journey for them. It's highly, highly leverageable. If you look at this podcast, very leverageable. I often interview people, build a relationship, and then I ask them to create courses at WellFit, right? So there's a leverage in it. Not all guests, right? But some of them, there's some leverage to it. Number four, if it fails, will it sink me? So very powerful. The early entrepreneur in me says, you know, if it fails, that's fine. I'll just rebound, right? Even if it does sink me. However, as you progress in life, you know, you have obligations, maybe a family, right? You don't want to be adding unnecessary risk. And as I've starting to realize really wealthy people, savvy people really look to mitigate risk, reduce that risk, right? Because they have something, right? They have an empire, they have a portfolio. And so it's really about mitigating risk. So does that opportunity, will it sink you if you put all your eggs in that basket? Maybe you should only play 50%, 30%. Maybe you should put all your effort into it. Number five, does it motivate me? And I wrote down 4 a.m. That's what time I get up. I just am so fired up about what I do. I'm not saying everybody needs to do that. Maybe you're a night owl and so you work late into the night. That's fine too. But does it motivate you, right? The, our time on this planet is so finite. And I know, again, if you're, especially if you're just getting started at the beginning of your journey, you may have more time, right? But if you think about it, this really woke me up. You know, if you think about how many summers, when you think about how many winters you're gonna have in your lifetime, right? It becomes finite, right? Like looking forward now, depending on your age, you may think, oh, you know, I got a lot of time, whatever. But when you put it in that context, you're like, oh my gosh, I may only have 40 summers left, right? Depending on your age, maybe it's less, maybe it's only 20, like and that makes it real finite, right? And so why not work on the projects that really get you motivated? Why not work on the things that are really gonna light that fire for you that are gonna make an impact or make a difference, whether that's in the world or whether that's in your family, right? Or whether that's just with yourself, why not do those projects, right? And then finally, very similarly, are you gonna get a return that inspires me? Obviously, financial return makes sense here. Mike talked about that. And then the next one being maybe not everything, right? Maybe you're involved in a nonprofit. Maybe it's with your family. Are you gonna get that return? Meaning like if you invest waking up an hour earlier and helping your kid with homework and waking your kid up an hour earlier, right? Or maybe you volunteer in your workplace and you mentor somebody, are you gonna get that return that inspires you? Or are you just doing an activity 
just because, right? And again, it goes back to, if you really think about it, your time is finite. And so there's only so much that you can do. You can accomplish a lot through others, but when you think about it, you do need recharge time. You do need to account for that. And even though you may have a big team, right? You may have people that you can call on. Why work on things that you're not gonna get a return from, right? Why not that inspire you? And so very, very, very interested. I wanna give you one last one. It's a short one. This is the alchemist, you know, really as entrepreneurs, as wealth fit nation, wealth fit tribe, whatever you would like to label yourself as, we are alchemists, right? We take something, whether that's an investment, and we transform that hopefully into a greater, right, investment, into a bigger return. We transform ourselves, we're alchemists, right? Entrepreneurs listening into the show, take an idea and now make a business out of it or make a product out of it. Really, when you think about it, like Walt Disney, taking an idea and making Walt Disney World and cartoons and that whole thing, right? We are alchemists and it's a great book to check into. Maybe you're hearing this for the first time, but really that's what it's about. So very fascinated conversation today. I want to know what your thoughts are. Let us know on social media. And if you like today's conversation, make sure to check out Mike's course at WealthFit. That is it for now. Can't wait to have you back for the next show. Thanks for listening to this episode of Get WealthFit. Did you have an aha moment or two during the episode? I want to know. Remember, life doesn't pay you for what you know. It pays you for what you do, for the actions you take and the moves you make. So take a second right now and go to getwellfit.com. You'll find a printable recap of this episode, links to things we mentioned in the show, and some exercises that'll help you start taking action on the things you've learned. You can also get in touch with me, Dustin Matthews. That's getwellfit.com. Go there now, and I can't wait to talk with you again on the next episode. Mm.